Well, good morning, and as you're sitting down, grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 12. What chapter? John 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, we should be having some people coming around with Bibles, but we're continuing our series through the Gospel of John, and today we're covering two stories in the first 19 verses. Only 19 verses today. If you've been with us, we've been doing like chapters of 40, 50 plus verses, and it's 19 verses today. Uh, now for the bad news, um, doesn't mean we're going to be out earlier. In fact, ask the second service on, first service on that. Uh, I want to tell you, though, this is an awesome, awesome passage. We have two events taking place. How many events? Two events taking place. The first one is Mary anointing Jesus. The second one is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We're going to be talking about both of these. And as we look at both of these, we are going to be taking a look at seven people, uh, seven groups of people who worshipped um, and just made some observations about them. And we're really then going to be drawing that to concluding or taking kind of keying in on one of them. Marvelous passage. Let's uh, begin. What chapter are we in? John chapter 12. Let's actually start verse 55 of chapter 11. Remember in chapter 11, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, okay? And he raised Lazarus from the dead, and now the leaders want Jesus dead. Uh, so here we go, verse 55, chapter 11. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, well, what do you think, uh, that he will not come to the feast at all? They're wondering what's going on with Jesus, whether he will come. Uh, verse 57, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Okay, that's the background setting. We're going to kind of move through these 19 verses, and then we're going to come back picking up seven people who worshiped in this. So let's keep on going. Chapter what? <laughs> okay, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Bethany's about two miles east outside of Jerusalem, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Let's just pause here for a second and bring a couple things up. Uh, we're probably right around the time frame of 30 AD, uh, plus or minus a year, maybe two, but probably literally right in 30 AD. Uh, this is now the third Passover that's been mentioned in the Gospel of John. This is the last Passover that we will see mentioned in the Gospel of John because Jesus is about to be crucified on the cross within a matter of just a couple days from this period of time that we're talking about in chapter 12. It's the time of the year at Passover, a remembering, celebrating God's passing over in the plagues uh, in Egypt, when there were slaves in Egypt, God's passing over them. And this was a time remembering all the way back to there, the blood shed, painted on the door frames, God doing a work, the whole thing redeeming them out, all this taking place. And there's all kinds of, uh, uh, of spiritual buzz going on. And, and frankly, this year, it happens to be that Jesus especially uh, has some unique spiritual uh, buzz in the whole situation that's taking place. We aren't told how long it's been since Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. Uh, but we know that it's the week preceding Passover. 
the week that's leading up to the cross and the resurrection. Do understand this. As we read the passage and the things we're going to be talking about today, Jesus knows the cross is coming within a matter of days. Within a matter of days. And that's a big impact. In chapter 12, it's Saturday evening. The Sabbath has just ended. And there's a dinner that's being held in Bethany in the town where Lazarus was raised. And it's for Jesus. There's a dinner there. And we see two people so far. One, we see Martha. Martha did what? Served. We'll talk about Martha here in a little bit. She's just serving away. What a servant. Lazarus is there. Lazarus is there. Uh, That's astounding. Because in chapter 11, he was what? Oh, by the way, how many days was Lazarus dead? Four days. Lazarus was dead four days. Not three days, but four days. Four days because there was a rabbinic belief back in the time that uh, by some that the soul would hover over the body for three days waiting to re-enter until they saw the body actually decay and then it would leave and it would be dead dead after four days. So Lazarus was dead dead, okay, before Jesus made him alive alive uh, in chapter 11. And there he is at the table. Let's pick up verse 3 and we'll keep reading. Mary... Therefore, Mary is uh, Lazarus's sister, Martha's sister, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. By the way, it's not lard. It's nard. We'll talk about that here in a minute. It's an oil. It comes from a root of a plant that in that day was grown in India. So this is a liquid and not like a glop of lard butter that's poured on. Okay, it's pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And now contrast with Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, parentheses, he was about to betray him. By the way, wouldn't it be interesting? You're John, you're one of the disciples, and now years later you're writing this, and all of what you now know is coming into your writing about it. I don't think uh, John writes this with great glee about Judas. I think it's very sad for him to write what really took place with Judas. He was about to betray him. By the way, he was about to betray him within a matter of a couple days, right at this point. And we'll come back, talk more about each of these individuals. And Judas said, uh, verse 5, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? I'll just actually say, I think that's a good question. We'll come back to that. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Jesus stops that conversation and says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Remember, the cross is days away. The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, uh, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away, or literally the text could be going over to and believing in Jesus. Verse 12, the next day. Which day is it? It's the next day. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. 
And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples, by the way, which included John, the human author of what we're reading, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's, uh, let's go back and take a look at seven who worship. And the first group of people I want for us to take a look at is the leadership. The leadership. You can see in verse 10 and 11, it talks specifically about the chief priests. And then in verse 19, it talks specifically about the Pharisees. These, in essence, were the leader of the people. Not only the religious leaders, but these literally were at that point in time the political leaders as well. What do we see them worshiping? I'd put it this way. People power over people they literally were look at verse 19 the pharisees it says see the world as having gone after jesus why is that a bad thing what's so bad about that why is that a problem you see because if they're going after jesus that means they're not going after me and i'm losing power I'm losing control over these people. And really, that's what these boys were worshiping, was that reality. You can also see in verse 11, the chief priests, they see the people as going over to Jesus. <laughs> you can think back into, uh, or if kids are here in elementary school or junior high or high school or whatever, when you'd play games and it's like, I'm going over to their side. No way, man. No way. That was a bad thing going over. Here, they're similar like this. This is so infantile in all reality. Here are these leaders, these spiritual, these religious, these political leaders, and their people who really, who they worship is leaving them and going over to him. And that's a bad thing for them. Jesus, for them, was a threat to their power. Jesus was a threat. And Jesus was a threat to what they worshiped which is power over people. Group number two, the crowds. Let's talk about the crowds for a minute. Large crowds. In fact, verse nine. When the large crowds of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Jesus or to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Then we see in verses 12 and 13, the next day, the large crowd, this is at the triumphal entry, uh, come to the feast to hear that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they cheer him on. What's going on here? I'm talking big, broad brushstrokes in the crowd. What's going on here? Well, we, first we need to understand kind of the context of the time. At Passover, this was the time when people from Israel would come to Jerusalem where the temple was. Uh, Jerusalem at Passover would generally increase three to five times its average pop- population. That means that... Uh, History people say that it varies anywhere from one and a half million to two and a half million people. That's a lot of people. That's like more than Indianapolis. And by the way, in the ancient setting of the day, the city of Jerusalem was not as big as like what we think of Indianapolis. It was actually quite small. 
And so all these people are there. And so most of them, many of them are actually staying in surrounding area in the suburbs, if you will, Bethany of one, which was the case. And Jesus is staying there. And so there's two and a half million people. Now let's think this through. Let's just say there's two million people. Two million people. Let's just say there's 1% of all the people who are there in Jerusalem who are engaged in this triumphal entry event. If there's one million people, Two million people, I'm sorry, I'm messing with you here. Two million people and 1% of them are there. How many people does that mean? That means 20,000 people. But I'm just going to tell you, because of the light of the hubbub of everything that's going on in the day, 1%, there was way more than 1%. There's just way more. Let's just say there's 5%. 5% and let's just stay with that. If 5% of all the people that are there at Passover time were there for this event, and frankly, I have no proof for it, but I'm just going to say in light of how you see the unfolding of the history and how everything worked in that day, I think it was way more than 5%. But let's just stay with 5%. Okay, it's 5%. We okay with that? That means how many people? A hundred thousand people. Uh, take a big college stadium. That many people. And there they are on the triumphal entry. And there they are, 100,000 people. I'll actually, I'll venture to say, who knows, but I'll venture to say there's probably more than that. And they're all, Hosanna, King of Israel. Wow, what a party. This was crazy time. And this was at a time when everybody was spiritually abuzz about the Old Testament and about God redeeming. And, and so much was on the time, especially at the time under Roman rule. So many of the Israelites wanted to get out from Roman rule. And the Old Testament history of the reality that God was going to build a, a, a kingdom, that he was going to bring someone to set on the Davidic king throne. And that person then was going to lead them like back in Davidic days. And life like that. I want that. I want back in the superpower place. The economy was strong. Everybody served us. Everybody admired us. And it's a good thing. And and, uh, uh, Hosanna, if you're the one, come on in. I don't want to be harsh on these folks, but when you take a look from John chapter 2 to Jesus knew the heart of all people, to Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, But I will say, I never knew you. To what happens later on in the text in the coming chapters. I think the reality that we see with these folks is Jesus was really a means to an end. They were looking forward to having this political reigning Davidic king. And their nation back into world power. And uh, yeah, bringing a smidgen of Yahweh would be fantastic with that as well. We don't see these people last in their enduring understanding of who Christ is. Jesus was a means to an end. Person number three that worshipped, Judas. And just the name already kind of gives you the idea that these first three are kind of areas we don't necessarily want to be. Okay, Judas. Look at what Judas says here in verses 4 through 6. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples... Uh, said, uh, after Mary did this event, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? You've already heard me say that I think there's some validity to the question. Um, was this a wasteful thing? 
Or was this a worship thing? What, what was all the money for? Could, couldn't, couldn't we have got some lower Chanel number and saved some money and, and still done the act? And also then taken that difference and helped the poor? I, I, was gonna say, I, I think that's a, a valid, valid question. But what's the problem? The problem of this is the heart of the situation. That really wasn't what Judas was concerned about. Judas wasn't concerned about helping the poor. Judas was concerned about helping himself. And he saw some potential cash flow go out his door and into the ground. It's interesting that Judas in this event, as we read through in the other accounts of it, read through this event, how did he know how much it was worth? How did he know that? I mean, did he come out with this did Mary come out with this jar and it says nard on it? And so he goes, oh, nard. And about the size of the jar, I know about how much that is. And, you know, Chanel number 16 or whatever. It costs so much an ounce. And you understand where I'm coming? Uh, did, did he see it there? Or was it after she poured it out? And then he's like, that's nard. Are you serious? Nard? Do you know how expensive nard is? Nard has to come all the way from India. And it's, a, it's a, my English standard version says a pound. It's really about three quarters of a pound of this. And he's, he, he's calculating all this through. Uh, Judas knew the goods. He knew how much things cost. And in this moment, nothing is said about value. But Judas knew. And that was the, what his eyes were on. The value of that. sad Judas loved things Judas loved money and Judas saw Jesus as a tool to prosperity Judas saw Jesus as a tool to prosperity and we see that all through his time with him and what happens later on you know sin can really be fun until afterwards and then the guilt hits and you just about want to commit suicide uh, you, you know what I'm saying in context here with Judas Jesus is a tool to prosperity hey friends before I go to these others I just want to make sure let's not be these uh, uh, do you see Jesus as a threat to your whatever you worship well, Jesus is going to take away my. Uh, do you see Jesus as a means to an end or a tool to prosperity? Listen, in our world today and in Christianity today, especially in America, we have so much of this blasted prosperity gospel. that's just utter heresy. OK, understand that. This whole thing that come to Jesus and you will be wealthy, healthy and happy and never have a problem in your life. Are you kidding me? Bring that one to Paul. Talk with him about that. Oh, how about better than this? How about take that one to Jesus and let's talk that one through. Uh, please understand, that is just utter baloney, utter selfishness, utter worship of self. Not about Christ. These were about power and prosperity. Let's not be that. Really, let's not be that. And yet, you know what the reality is? Every one of us struggle 
in some realm of it. True? It is true. We all do. I do as well. That's why we're together in this. Okay? People number four, the disciples. Verse 16 tells us the disciples did not understand these things at first. Now just think about this for a minute. Think you're one of the disciples and all this taking place just in, in recent days for them. Uh, you've seen Jesus raise a dead man from the tomb. Oh, by the way, a dead, dead man from the tomb. And you've seen him made him alive. Who could do that? I mean, just talk about freak your mind out. Wow. Uh, you've seen that. You've seen now Mary pour a year's salary on Jesus' feet. I think it's likely that Lazarus and Martha and Mary, from some of the clues that we see in the various texts, uh, uh, weren't poor. Uh, but I don't know how rich they were, but they weren't poor. And yet we can go and say, well, see, but they had the money. No, no, I'm just telling you, when the disciples are processing this, they're seeing the, they're thinking a year's salary and trying to run this through their head as well. And they're confused. These guys give me hope. Are there things this times you just don't understand about Jesus? What's going on? These guys give me hope. The thing that I love about these guys is as we look at them, and oh, by the way, and then they see 100,000 plus people crying out Hosanna to this guy they've been following around for nearly three years. I wonder if some of them were thinking, yeah, we're coming on the throne. I'm going to be on the right. I'm going to be on the, yeah, we had that situation before between all the, it's, it's craziness to process. But one of the things I love is that with the disciples, 11 of them, for 11 of them, it's not, I don't get this, I'm gone. You know, sometimes we can be that way, or maybe you've seen people that way, where it's like, you know, the Jesus thing, I just don't get it, right? I'm having a hard time understanding who he is, so I'm just out. Not these guys. They're like, I'm having a hard time understanding this, but there's something here. I want to persevere after knowing what this is about. I love these guys. But there is something miraculous here before me that is fully worthy of my persevering to understand, I think. There's something about Christ that is fully worth my persevering to understand who he is. By the way, the text tells us not much later, a week, less than a month, they understand. Person number five, Lazarus. Verse two. So they gave a dinner for him, Jesus there. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. How cool is that? By the way, how dead was Lazarus? He was really dead dead. How many days was he dead? I got to tell you, if I had the opportunity to be able to talk to this boy, I would love to ask him, like, what happened in those four days? Did you see the tunnel? You know, I mean, all those kinds of things. What happened? Don't quite know. Or was it for Lazarus that it was kind of like because in God's time now, uh, to, 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 as we talked about, uh, dead is not done. Uh, scripture tells us that, that, that to die, if you know Christ, is to be with the Lord. But yet in this situation, this is a unique one. I don't know what happened here. And so in it, was he just comatose? But even if he was, everybody else knew what happened. Lazarus, you were dead for four days. No. Yeah. Tell me. And then you learn all this. How do you process the fact that you've gone through severe illness? I haven't felt so great with a cold, but it's not like 
that bad, but it's like, still, you go through the process. You get really, really sick and ill, and he's to the point of death. He went through that for real, and he died. As far as we would say it, Jesus said he fell asleep. And then he comes back alive. I still, in my head, I still love the whole thing of him coming out of the tomb. Because Jesus tells him to unwrap him, and he he didn't come out unwrapped. How did he get out of that? And he's like, hop, 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 hop. And uh, there's just some comicalness, and it's just a miracle of him getting up. And uh, okay, and so here's Lazarus, who's gone through all of this. What would you do if that had happened to you? Let me give you some modern day possibilities. Here's a couple. Sell the movie rights. Sell the movie rights. Here's another one. Do a mega TV interview deal. Or start a world speaking tour. Or here's one. You've had an incident like this. This is the perfect situation to start a clothing and perfume line. What am I talking about? Because all of those lead to power and prosperity. Out of the situation. You've got the situation at hand. Take it for power and prosperity. Where's Lazarus? Not on the world tour. Not producing the movie. He's sitting with Jesus. Reclining at the table. That's a great spot to be. That's a great spot to be. For Lazarus, Jesus was fully worthy. Of his full attention. I think there's just worthwhile to ask us the question. Is uh, is Jesus worth your understanding like the disciples? Is Jesus worth your attention like Lazarus? I've had a busy week. Believe me, I'm talking to me here too. I've had a busy week and just haven't had time to be with the Lord. Isn't that pretty lame? We all know it, isn't it? Not? No, seriously, isn't it? But we all struggle with it. And yet I just love the fact here, I think this is just one more sweet moment in the scriptures that reminds us, just being at the table with Jesus has a high priority. And I don't think Lazarus would want to be anywhere else. Because he knew what he's done for him. That's special. Person number six, Martha. Martha did what? Served, verse two. That's all we know about Martha in this passage. Uh, You can go to Luke chapter 10. I'm not going to go there. Verses 38 and following. And we find that Martha another time is serving. There's a dinner event going on. Jesus is there. And uh, by the way, this is really interesting. Martha is serving and Mary in that event in Luke chapter 10 is at his feet listening to Jesus. At his feet. Just keep that in mind. So Martha is serving in Luke chapter 10 and and uh, she's getting a bit turmoiled, turbulated um, about the whole situation. And uh, I, I'm, I have to say this is a little bit me. 
I'm just the kind of guy having grown up and with my family and with my business background and responsibilities that I'm just the kind of guy when an event takes place and if you're in charge of it, if it's in your home, if it's your thing, it, this isn't the time for you just to kind of meander with everybody else. You have a group here. We're here to be hospitable to you and to make this an event for you to be able to do it. And I can, I can very much be those at seminary with some things and you know, so for leading some things. And I'm the guy in the back walking around making sure everything's going okay. I can be busy, 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 busy. Out of good heart and good attention. I, I want to help. I want to make this a blessing to you. And, and please understand this. That is serving. And it's interesting. In one text, Jesus says, hey, 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 Martha. Hey, Doug. Chill it a little bit in this moment with your attitude. But in this one, we don't see that. She's serving. Way to go, Martha. Martha. Way to go. By the way, there's been a whole lot of worship this morning. There's been a whole lot of worship even proceeding up to here. There's been worship practice and the music team getting ready. There's been a lot of time spent for this week for me getting ready for this with you. There's been those of you who are serving with children's ministries, prepping during the week and getting ready to love on our children and disciple our children to Christ. And then this morning, early this morning, people get up and, and, and are doing things, serving, worshiping with the right heart, if that's the case. And then there are people setting up and, uh, you know, we just think of worship as a time when we sing. Worship is 24-7 all the time. And I just want to note out here, Martha, way to go. Jesus was worthy of her service. Is Jesus worthy of your service? I think uh, Christians, uh, followers of Christ, those of you who know Christ as your Savior, who have been churched, be careful. Because a lot of times we can do things because that's what we're supposed to do. Or we'll do the things that I like to do. But I don't necessarily want to do the things that I'm either not great at or the things that I don't really like to do. I just want to let you know we're family. We're a faith family together, and that means sometimes we do things we don't like to do, but it's all serving. We do it together. Number seven, this is sweet. Mary. Mary. Mary takes three-quarter pound of nard perfume, an oil from the root plant that comes from India, that time that we know about and it was expensive it was expensive because of its purity it was expensive because it's interesting why the scripture tells us the amount why would it tell us the amount because it was a lot of amount and that's to help in the understanding that this was an expensive not only because of its purity and she could have come up with a little i don't know ladies you know that little you know, thing and just done a little and that would have been it, but not for her. She unscrews the cap and she does the whole thing. And it's expensive because of its purity. It's expensive as well because of its origin. And we see, as we've already talked about, it's 300 denarii. That's the typical person's wage for a year. A year. Okay, I want for everybody here to close your eyes. Don't worry, I'm not going to like do anything weird on you. I just 
close your eyes and just picture this. You have a bucket. Kind of get your hands right out in front of you. I can see you. I'm, I'm looking, okay? Hold you accountable. Okay. <laughs> you got a bucket out in front of you, and inside that bucket is all of the cash of your entire salary from all of this last year. Every bit of it. And, and, I mean, with no taxes taken out, the whole thing. It's in that bucket. And then you just turn it and pour it out onto someone's feet and it goes into the dirt and your entire salary for the entire year is now gone. Okay, you can open your eyes. Ouch. This is an expensive gift. And the scripture makes sure we know that. And she pours it all on his feet and then she wipes it with her hair. Not a rag, but her hair. And then the fragrance spreads through the whole room. (laughs) Judas responds. And Jesus responds. But for Mary... Jesus was fully worth her worship. Jesus was fully worth her worship. Let's talk a little bit about this. Three things about Mary's worship here. Number one, this was an act of personal worship. This is personal. Consider all this behind this event. Mary's brother is very sick. She and her sister care for him. They watch him go through. They send a message to Jesus. Come, the one you love, we talked about last week. Not just someone you know, but the one you love. Not we love you, but you love. Jesus, the one that you love, is dying. And then he dogs them. He dogs them for not a day, for a couple days. Until he gets there, and, and then Mary is there, and, and Mary and Martha, and for Mary, her brother dies. I mean, legitimately dies. Have you had a parent, or have you had a sibling die? Remember the pain and the hurt? All of that was there. This is an event because we know that uh, Lazarus came alive. Sometimes we like forget about all the, the reality of the situation of the pain for Mary. Her brother died in front of her. Or however that happened in the event. And then they take his body and, and they process the process back in that day to prepare him for his burial. And then he's buried and the whole grieving process takes place. And then Jesus comes days later and shows up. And even the confusion in that, yet there's faith but confusion in it. And hurt, hurt, hurt. What are you doing, God. And then Jesus, Lazarus, come out. Boing, 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 boing. Boom. And then they unwrap him. (laughs) And then it's party time. 
my brother's alive after he was dead dead. Oh, my word. How do you process that? And they celebrate. But then days go on. And Mary doesn't forget. You know sometimes how you've been through something that has been really tough and hard and then God shows up and you're like, oh, oh, awesome. God, you rock. Awesome. And then it's like I'm kind of out of that event and there can be a tendency to forget. Celebrate, but yet forget. But not for Mary. Not for Mary here. Now, I realize the text doesn't tell us, and I just say it to you straight up. I don't know exactly what all took place here. But as we think about this, Mary couldn't leave this where it was at. So days progress. And she considers options. I don't know. I'm kind of sanctified imagination here. What do I do to thank him? Write him a card? Give him a hug? Give him a gift card? Buy him a Chia pet? You know, hey, by the way, think about this reality. This is for fun. What do you give the person who literally has everything? I mean, that's the case in here. I mean, this is God in the flesh. What do you give him? What do you give him? What does the one who has everything want from you? So I don't know how it happens, but I think it could have been uh, talking with someone between services. <laughs> could have been two ways. Could have been that uh, Mary all through this is thinking these options, and then she comes down to this one, the nard. And maybe there's been days of time that's leading up to this. Or maybe there is an aspect of a spur of the moment in exactly what she does. But why this nard? I I don't quite know. You know, we could say maybe it's more of a woman thing. And I don't mean that bad. I mean, just the, but we we know this. She has this oil that's worth a year's salary. Did she buy it? Very well could be. The Bible doesn't tell us. Was it an heirloom? That she got from. Don't know. But she has this oil. And and she's like. Especially back in that day. The meaning of anointing. That. I'm going to take that. How personal. I, I would never have thought of that. I would not. But yet in the process of it for Mary, this is so personal. I've got to take something. And by the way, this isn't her every week giving, if you will. But this is a special time. And it's like, I've got to do something here. And something to represent my whole heart. And she comes and (laughs) she takes this and pours it out. Her perfume. And then her hair. How personal is that? 
could have been a rag. But no, my hair. This is personal all the way through. And just wiping his feet with it. How over the top is that? But how personal. I mean, here Judas sees her pouring money out. I don't know. The others are seeing her pouring eccentricity out. I don't quite know. But we know this for sure. Jesus sees her pouring her soul out. What can you give to the one who has everything? And she pours her very self out in full worship. I just want to have us ponder, when was the last time you thought through all that Christ has done for you? Really. I don't just mean in a light, ethereal, stiff, Sunday school kids classroom. Jesus, he's so neato. I mean, theologically, when you've really thought through that all that Christ has done, If you know Christ as your Savior, all that he has done for you, for me, do we get that? Do we grasp that? Are we willing to take the time to understand and to give ourselves the full attention to that? The the redeeming my soul from, from hell? The giving me hope and purpose? When I have none, the complete undeserving graciousness of him fully poured out. (laughs) Or are we just so calculated in the process as great American thinkers? That we lose the depth and the emotion. I just want to even ask you this. When we sing, what are you singing from? Just when we worship in song, I'm just going to tell you I grew up in stale, stiff, respectful, not like the charismatics, singing many if not maybe most of you know what I'm talking about faces looking down in the book I'm so not mad about that please don't understand it taking it this way I'm not anti-hymnal I'm not anti-hymn none of that's going on But, but I'm just telling you growing up as a boy and seeing that where's the passion Where's the depth? Oh, the words. Really? Because it sure doesn't look like it on anybody's face in here. I remember just as a boy over the years wondering, seriously, how deep is it? God has given us the ability and the gift of song. The ability to sing is unlike anything else. I learned last night from Nick. 
when we were out, that one side of the brain is engaged in singing and the other side of the brain is more engaged in thinking. That's why you can sing things and then later not even know what you're saying. Listen, we're not talking about being a left brain person or being a right brain person. We're talking about being a left and a right brain person. And in our worship. And if you've grown up like I have, I want for you to know this. This is a safe place. This is not a game place. This is not a we want to manipulate your emotions place. I hope you understand that. But this is a place where God's people, let's get serious about what is we're being said in song. And doing so with a heart that's full. And faces that show it. Stronger! I will never forget, and this isn't the point, I will never forget the first time I raised my hands in singing. Felt like a total freak. It was at Harvest in Chicago. And the point isn't to get there. But I'm just going to tell you, I'm so over that. I'm so over the stiff and the stale. I'm just over that. Well, it's not my kind of music. Fine, whatever. So what? Does it sound like I'm angry? I'm trying to challenge you. So? I would be saying the exact same thing if we had a five-string quartet up here. Or a hillbilly band. It's personal. From the depths of the soul. Come on. Let's live it out. And that's one of the areas we can do that. It's one of the areas we can do that. It was, pro- it was personal. Second, Mary's worship was public. Mary's worship was done in front of all. Oh, by the way, at the end of service today, we're going to be having two of my favorite songs, by the way. Let's bring the house down. Number two, Mary's worship was an act of public worship. This is really interesting. It was done in front of all. I don't know if that was on purpose for Mary, but it was done in front of family. It was done in front of disciples. It was done in front of all the dinner guests that were there. It was done in front of everyone. I just say, how exposing is that? I mean, you know, here in America, we uh, so adore personal privacy that we worship it. And we don't really, honestly, as a whole, we really don't get public community. And here she's doing this in public. Why? She could have done it outside when no one is looking. I know the scriptures say, go pray in the, in the closet. I know, you know, don't tell the right hand what the left hand is saying, you know, when you're writing money. I get that. I understand that. I hear all that. But I'm going to tell you, friends, look through all of John so far and look how much of the worship was public. All of it, other than Nicodemus with Jesus at night. And there's a publicness about it. There is. And I'm not just talking about it doesn't have to be a certain time. But here, this is the, as we're going to talk about, this is an extravagant moment. There's times where there's a publicness in it. It wasn't about the public. It was about Jesus. But it was done in public. okay to worship together hey friends 
This is a safe place. We're all about the same thing. Even in a small group, I understand for some people praying out loud in a small group or in a public setting, I understand that, 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 that you'd rather jump off a cliff. I get that. And for some people we have are new in Christ are kind of like, I don't even know what prayer really is. Can I just say this? Picture this, Mary coming and just pouring her soul out before the Lord. That's it. That's it. And there are times where having that time of worship, having that time of prayer, just having that time of community together is so deep and so rich, it's unlike anything else. I want to mention to you that as staff, we've talked about this for next week. For next week, just one way for us to practice this. So you got a heads up is we're going to have, and towards the beginning of the service, we're going to have a song that we're going to be singing. Everybody will be standing, and, and we're going to have two people over here, and one over here, one over here for just with our commitment cards. And if, if you haven't given your commitment card for the funding process yet, you know, we're just going to kind of do that together. But Doug, then, isn't that kind of show off? No, listen, we're mature, and hopefully we're mature enough to be able to see what this really is. This is worship, and it's worship together, and it's act of worship together. Well, Doug, I already gave my card. Fine, do a blank one. I don't care. This is about together. That's the thing. In an act of worship, we're not going to be taking these and running them before everybody. But at the end of the service, we are going to, we're just going to let everyone know about where we're at for the year end and what we were looking at, where we're at for this next year. And and we're going to celebrate together. Okay? It's okay. Really, I, I know you're pretty freaked right now, but it's okay. Okay, and we're going to work on growing and doing that together as public worship. And last, I've got to finish. It's this it's extravagant worship. Please, please understand this statement. It's one year's wages poured out and no regret. I am not saying it's the amount of money. That is not even in my mind. The widow's might, worship. Mary's year's salary perfume, worship. What is Christ looking for? Worship. And worship comes out of understanding all that he has done. And this is not every week for Mary. But this is a time in her life where something big was taking place. And she was in the process of it like, you know, writing a thank you card. It's just not going to do it. This needs to be extravagant. And so for her, that's what it was. But all that was behind what was taking place here. And by the way, her extravagant gift, her year's salary, as it spread through the room and the other people were just taking it in, by the way, has spread through the room to here today. And she had no idea what God would do with that act of extravagant worship before the Lord. Listen, that's God's deal on what he's going to do with that. But God wants you and I to be people of genuine, sincere, personal, and yet at times public, and and at times extravagant worship. And I'm going to close with this. (laughs) The timing of John 12. 
I want for you to know this. This is how cool God is. I had no idea this would be the Sunday before what's come out between by next Sunday being Commitment Sunday. When I put this whole sermon series together, I had no idea that this Sunday was the Sunday before. In no way do I want to try and manipulate, but I'm going to tell you over the years, I have come to see that God uses sovereign timing in his word at various times. And this was just too God freaky for me. Uh, Next Sunday, we have an opportunity in here in the coming years to be able to see what God has for us on a facility. And so I am unapologetically going to bring it in and just go this. Here's what I want for us to be thinking about. Listen, as you consider and pray through what God would have you do in this process, it needs to be personal. It needs to be something that you take, Lord, God, help me. You need to be thinking through back what God has done in your life. I'm even going to bring in what God has done in your life through this church in the last while. And as an act of being able to express that, uh, come and, and there's a publicness to us because this involves all of us. I have no idea what's going to happen. I've had pastors from Harvest calling me. So how do you think this is going to go? And I'll just tell you straight up, I have no idea. Because this is brand new. This is one of the biggest steps of faith as this ministry has ever taken on. And rock on God. It's good. It's set me back. (laughs) We're responsible. But then God. It's your deal. And listen friends. It's an act of worship. And I would ask that you would consider. Can this be a time for an extravagant act of worship before the Lord? We just know this. Three words. You can't see them. They're pretty fuzzy. Build. Worship. And together. How coinky dink is that with this passage today? Big God. Let's be people of genuine worship. Okay? Let's really, can we, can we do that? Okay, here's what we're going to have. We're going to have the worship team come on and get ready. And here's what, one of the things I want for you to do is when we sing, because second service, I love you guys. I love you dearly. And, and, and yet here's an area that second service on the whole we can grow in. You're also my timid service. Uh, we call you, in, in love, we call you the learning service. And in part of ways, because I think we have more new people in the second service and uh, with that. And so I just want for you to know, you know what? It's, it's, it, you're in a safe place. And uh, it, it's, it's okay to, to, to sing with a big, like, big God smile on our face. We can do that, can't we? Show me. Yeah. Okay. In fact, just just stand up for a minute. We do this. You know what? I'm not. It's it's not about the outside. And I know some people are going to freak out with me here, but chill out. Here's the deal. You know what? You can even like raise a hand. Can you can you like raise a hand? You can do it at a football game, can't you? Go Colts! Yeah. Oh come on. We can do it for God, can't we? And we can like yeah. Way to go, God. Okay, and we can even like, yeah, go God, right? Yeah, and we can do all three together, can't we? Yeah! Woo! Way to go, God! (laughs) Some of you are never coming back. I just want for you to know, it is okay, but that's not the measuring rod. Out of here. So as we have these two songs, Adoration and, and the song following, two of my favorite songs, this is a time to adore the Lord.